Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. Good, I live in on the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, so I'm pretty cold, but I did grow up in Melbourne. I won't tell you which football team I barrack for because most of you will hate me. Let's just say my teeth come in and out and uh, I've got them in because I'm preaching. Uh, but um, it's uh, great. So I live 21 years in Melbourne, so it's great to be here tonight. And I love Melbourne and I uh, love your pastors. And it's a real privilege to be here. And I just really feel like God's going to do some stuff in this place tonight. Is anybody with me? Yeah, great. Excellent. Um, just let me tell you a bit of my story before we uh, open the Bible. Um, as I said, I grew up in Melbourne uh, over on the northern sort of side. Uh, over Essendon sort of area. Uh, my parents divorced uh, when I was about five years old. Uh, my dad uh, did drugs. He sold drugs. Uh, my mum did drugs. Most of my aunties and uncles did drugs. Uh, even some of my grandparents did drugs. Uh, you know you're in trouble when pop smokes bongs, okay? That's a, a bad... St- I, I do that joke to see how naughty the crowd is. And uh, you guys are up there, but you should see when I do it in the West. Uh, people fall off their chairs. And... and but I followed in my dad's footsteps when I was about uh, 12 or 13. Uh, I started to smoke cigarettes, uh, binge drinking, uh, marijuana, smoking marijuana. By the time I was 15, uh, I was injecting speed, which is sort of the equivalent of ice today, but I was injecting speed. Uh, when I was 16, I took an acid trip and I overdosed on this acid trip. I was unconscious for three hours. I had a very demonic encounter. I, saw de- I was tormented in my mind for three hours. Uh, that left me with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis, uh, where the television would speak to me, the radio would speak to me. I'd hear voices in my head every day telling me that I should kill myself, that no one liked me, that no one loved me. Uh, the last 10 minutes of this, this message, I'm going to share that part of my story. It's a little bit freaky. It's a little bit out there, uh, but that's how we're going to finish. Uh, long story short, from 13 to 23, I used drugs almost every day of my life. Uh, when I was 21, I moved to Surface Paradise, uh, actually to get off drugs. Uh, I wasn't the smartest young man. Anyway, and... and uh, and uh, thankfully, God had a plan. Uh, I've got a photo of what I look like. Who wants to see that as a stoner? <laughs> Let's put that up on the screen. There I am, uh, making a cake. I can't tell you what's in the cake. And uh, again, that's just for my friends. And, but uh, there I am, 63 kilos, uh, pretty messed up. I was about 19 years old. And uh, yeah, so let's take that down because it's embarrassing. Um, but had an auntie who I'm actually going to preach a bit about tonight. Had an auntie that prayed for me for 17 years that I would one day encounter the love of God. And, uh, you know, my 23rd birthday, she sent me a birthday card. She Every year she'd send me a birthday card. It would always have a Bible verse in it, Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future, says the Lord God Almighty. And, and, and it says down the bottom, Jesus loves you. And if I be honest with you, I'm 23, I'm partying in surface paradise, I'm taking heaps of drugs. I remember reading the card thinking, yep, she's a Christian crackpot. And, and sort of just threw the card away. And it was about a week later, and I'm, a week or two later, my mum rings me. It's a Saturday night. I'm dressed in nightclub clothes and organized to score ecstasy at a nightclub in surface paradise. And I'm getting ready to walk out the door. My mum rings and she says, hey, you never even rang your auntie to say thank you for the card she sent. And so just to get my mum off my back, I thought, I'll quickly ring my auntie. It'll take 30 seconds. Thank you for the card. I'll ring you next year when you send me another crazy card about Jesus. And that would be the end of that. And so I pick up the phone and I ring this lady that's been praying for 17 years. And as I hear her voice, she says, hello, hello. 
And the only way I could explain it is, is as I heard her voice, it was like heaven opened up and the love of the Father tangibly came over my entire being. It was like liquid love that I'd never felt before over my entire being. And I was so overwhelmed by this love, this feeling, this tangible presence that I'd never experienced, that I was so overwhelmed that I was faced with this dilemma. And, and, and my dilemma was that I had two options. And the first one was I knew that I was so overwhelmed, so emotional from this experience. Well, one minute ago, I was completely fine. Now I'm so overwhelmed that I knew that if I even spoke, I was going to break down and cry like a baby. And who knows that for a 23-year-old male, that is a dilemma. Or, or two, if I didn't cry like a baby, I was going to have to prank call my Christian Baptist auntie. So the only thing I do is I grab the phone and I start going, and uh, no, I didn't really, it's okay. That's okay, I'm not a freak. I barrack for Collingwood, but I'm not a freak. I cried like a baby, and it was in that moment that for the very first time, uh, I prayed a prayer. She helped me to pray a prayer to invite Jesus Christ to come and live inside of my heart. And, uh, you know, the next day I woke up and I went to church for the very first time. And I'd pretty much, you know, been to church once or twice in my whole life. And I went to church and I publicly made a decision for the first time to follow Jesus Christ. And, and although I fully met God and my spirit was alive to Him, uh, I still had a whole heap of stuff that I was dealing with. Because who knows you can be a Christian but still have stuff going on in your life? It's called being a human being. And it's the reason we need a Savior. And you don't become perfect when you, you were on a journey. And, uh, and so I was still battling with cigarettes and, and marijuana and many things, even though I was fully connected to God. And, and I, got, I got to this point, I was a couple of weeks into my Christianity, and I, I started to pray. And I said, God, you know, God, I'm sick of being a drug addict. And I'd heard the pastor say, I'd only ever heard two sermons my whole life, I heard the pastor say that there was nothing that God couldn't do. And, I, and as a new two-week-old Christian, I'm on my hands and my knees and I'm praying. I said, God, I'm sick of being an addict. I've been one my whole adult life. I've been one most of my teenage years. I said, God, the pastor said there's nothing you can't do. God, I want you to take this thing away from me. And all of a sudden, my hands and knees, faith began to rise. I began to hit the ground and faith began to rise because a lady had been praying for 17 years. And as I hit the ground, I said, God, when will you do it? When will you take this thing away from me? And as clear as anything, I hear this voice on the inside that freaked me out a little bit. This beautiful, peaceful voice that said 726. I sort of stood up a little bit, started, I'm thinking, what does that mean, 726? And as I'm thinking, what does it mean? I'm in my little lounge room, sort of open kitchen. And, and as I'm thinking, what does it mean? I hadn't looked at my clock for a couple hours. And as I'm thinking, what does it mean? I turned and I saw my clock and it was exactly 726. And it was at that moment that I knew that I knew that I knew that I would never need drugs again, never need cigarettes again, never had a withdrawal or a desire since that very moment. You know, the thing that I love is that what took the devil 23 years of this downward, demonic, destructive, dysfunctional cycle just took my God one word to say it's finished, it's done, it's over. And you know what, maybe there's stuff going on in your world. Can I tell you, one word from heaven can change everything. One encounter with His presence can change the hardest of battles. It says the mountains melt like wax in His presence. And uh, you know, as I lay on the floor, as that two-week-old Christian, God spoke to me about all these things that were going to happen into my life. He told me six things and all of them came to pass. I don't have time to share them all now. Most of them were just smaller things. But the last thing he told me is really cool. The night before I'm having this encounter, so I've just been in church two weeks, I'm in this little Bible study. There's like about six of us in this new Christians class and 
all these young adults start rocking up to the church and they're dressed in fancy dress costumes. I said to the guy, oh, man, what's going on here? This is a bit weird. He said, oh, it's just like one of the girls, she's using the church room as a, for a party and it's a fancy dress. And as he's telling me, uh, this girl walks into the, the room that we're in doing the study just to get something out of, uh, out of a cupboard and it was her birthday and she comes in, she's dressed as Barbie, you know Barbie doll. She had like Barbie hair, Barbie skirt, Barbie bag, the whole Barbie thing going on. She, she walks in, I start drooling a little bit, uh, my eyes are popping out. I said, how you doing? Uh, she ignored me because I look like the cake guy and uh, that was the end of my Barbie experience. I've been in counseling ever since. No, not really. And, and, and so that was the end of that. She went off and had a party. I finished the Bible study. The next night, I'm having this, this God encounter, 726, laying on the floor. He tells me all these things. And, and as I'm laying there, the Holy Spirit says to me, Lucas, the girl you saw last night, she's the girl you're going to marry. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. <laughs> God, send me. I will go. And uh, so the next day, I got up and I changed my name to Ken. And uh, no, <laughs> I didn't really. It took her a year and a half to come to her senses and see what she was missing out on. And I don't know. It took me a year and a half to be even close to being ready for a godly functional relationship. Uh, we've now been married almost 15 years. And uh, God's so good. And I've got a photo of Barbie that night dressed up in a fancy dress. Let's put that up. That's her. And uh, let me quickly show you what happens when you marry Barbie. So God's been so good, and I love your prayers. You know, we're, we're taking it. I've been traveling for four and a half years, have been all over the world, but obviously predominantly in Australia, but all over. Uh, but we just feel God's told us to move to America and just believing for it to open up. And we're really, we're going to nothing. Do you know what I mean? There's nothing there, but we just know God's called us. And uh, so we're moving in July. So I'd love for you to pray for us. Uh, really quickly before I open the Bible, um, I've got some resource, and this one here in particular is called To Hell and Back. Uh, you'll hear the crazy part of my story at the end. The reason I've got this is because every time I'd share my story, I'd get, um, you know, mums, dads, aunties, uncles, grandparents would come to me after the service with tears in their eyes and saying, I wish so-and-so could have been here to hear your story. So this really is just my whole story designed for someone that doesn't normally come to church and it helps them just hear my story and then introduce them to Jesus Christ. So this one's more of a resource that you buy for someone else and just give these away to people that, you know, will relate to addiction or mental illness or, or whatever. And then there's all, I, I preach out of what I've been through. This one's called What Are You Looking At? It deals a heap with insecurity, disappointment and offense. Uh, also this one, uh, The Father's Heart. I had a lot of dad issues because I was rejected and for so long in my Christianity it affected the way I saw God the Father and uh, this sort of really speaks about that, The Father's Heart. Uh, there's one here that just deals with sort of addictions. It's called Mud Man and, and different struggles. And uh, there's a couple others, and there's a USB that has like about 13 messages on it. You can check the guys there. Uh, 2 Samuel <coughs> chapter 9, verse 1. I don't know if the guys have got on the screen. Did I give my scriptures or not? It's not their fault if they didn't, so um, I just didn't do it. So, okay. My wife does all that, and I don't know if I told her to or not. But anyway, let's blame her. She's not here. Anyway, <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, before I read this particular text, let me give you the background to this story. Saul was the first king of Israel. And uh, Saul was handpicked by God, but gave in to his sinful nature. Uh, ended up following his, his flesh, his sinful nature. And in the end, he's consulting witches. And eventually the enemy surrounds him and he's overtaken. He deliberately falls on his sword. So he kills himself before the enemy gets him. On the same day, his son Jonathan is also killed in battle. And now David, who was best friends with David, with Jonathan, they loved each other deeply. 
They were the best of friends. David becomes king. And one of the first things he does is found here in verse 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 9. It says, David asked, Is there anyone still left from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And then rather than read the whole chapter, let me tell you what happens. There's this servant, and his name is Ziba. And he comes before the king and says, Well, actually, Jonathan had a son. His name is Mephibosheth. He's crippled in both of his feet, and he lives in a place called Lodabar. This crippled boy is brought before the king, and he's petrified. He thinks he's in trouble. And the king says, fear not. He says, I'm actually going to give you back the land that your grandfather Saul lost. I'm going to give you servants to work the land. And then the coolest part of the story says, and from now on, you will sit at my table as if you were one of the king's sons. This, this is an incredible story. There you go. See, we've got it now. We don't have it on the screen, but we've got the audio version live right now. At least it's the Bible talking. We can't judge you too much for that. And so the Philistines were fighting. Anyway, and see, so this, the, the amazing thing about this story is the whole plan of God for you and I, for the church, is actually written in, in that particular story. And that would be sort of cool if this was like a parable that God made up and then said, surprise, there's a hidden message in the parable that I made up. But this is not a parable. This is three generations of history that naturally unfold. And God says, surprise, my entire plan is hidden in the very fabric of history. Now, I'm going to need some volunteers. Uh, where's Zach? If you could quickly come, Zach. And then I'm just going to get, I need, yeah, if you could come as well. I know you looked away from me deliberately. And uh, <laughs> I saw. And sir, if you could come as well. And, and the guy there too, if you could quickly come as well. Zach, if you could stand this side by yourself. And if these guys, can you just jump up here? Is that okay? And uh, great. And uh, so we'll get you to stand there, sir. And then whoever in the middle, doesn't really matter. And then the other person on this side. All right, cool. So what we've got here is three generations. I didn't pick it perfectly, okay, but we've got Grandfather Saul. I'm, so, I'm sorry, sir. You're the first gray that I saw. So Grandfather Saul, we've got his son, Jonathan, and then we've got his son, Mephibosheth, okay? And I know that doesn't work too well. But anyway, just work with me. And then over here, I deliberately chose Zach to be David because the Bible says that David was handsome and ruddy. <laughs> And I'm in church, so I have to be honest, okay? Zach has heard this message on podcast, and he asked me if he could be David. So there you go, bro. He said to mention he was single as well. Anyway, is that true or not? Good, yeah. All right, good. <coughs> so I'll just go free plug. Anyway, you'll be dating by the end of the night. Anyway, so that was perfect. No. All right. All right, so three generations, okay? If you don't know about the Bible, that's totally okay. If you do... You may know that, uh, you know, we often think about Saul, that he wasn't God's chosen king because he did such a bad job. But the reality is God picked Saul. God called him out. God handpicked him. And God wanted Saul to be a great king, to, to be fruitful, to be a blessing to Israel, to walk in authority and dominion. But Saul, through his own sinful nature, he lost everything that God wanted him to have. The first of this generation is actually a picture of the very first man in Adam who God also wanted to rule, reign, have authority and dominion. But Adam gave in to his sinful nature and lost everything that God wanted him to have. The first of this generation is the first Adam. The second in this generation, Jonathan, is actually a picture of the second Adam, or the Bible calls him the last Adam in Jesus Christ. 
See, if you were to go back a few chapters, you'll find this moment where Jonathan uh, comes before David. But see, what you need to know is in that day, everybody knew that it was Jonathan's birthright to inherit the kingdom. He was Saul's son. They knew that he was next in line. But Jonathan, a few chapters before, he appears before David, who represents in this story God the Father. And he comes before David and he lays down his sword and his robe and his belt. And what he's actually saying to David, he's saying, although the kingdom is mine to claim, I recognize what the Spirit of God is doing and I lay down what is mine for the good of God the Father and for the good of everybody else. See, Jonathan is a picture of Jesus Christ who could have come 2,000 years ago to claim back what was his, but rather than claim it back, he came and he laid down his very life on the cross for the good of God the Father and for the good of you and I. The first of this generation is the first Adam, the second is the last Adam in Jesus And Mephibosheth, the next one, represents everybody to come after Jesus Christ. See, it says that he's crippled. In other words, he couldn't get to where he needed to be. It's actually not his fault that he's crippled. It was when his grandfather lost the kingdom that he was dropped as a five-year-old boy and now he's crippled because of his grandfather's mistake. Symbolic of a generation that live in this city that are crippled by something called sin that stops them from being where they're meant to be, which is in intimate relationship with God the Father. And it's actually not even their fault that they're crippled with this sin. They're born with this disease and it goes back to the very first man in Adam and now every human being is crippled by sin. It also says he lives in a place called Lodabar, which means place of desolation. That there is a generation that live in our nation that are crippled by sin and trapped and living in desolation. But then the greatest part of the story, and I read the verse where David, who in this story represents God the Father, and he stood up, we read it, and he says, Who can I bless from the house of Saul for the sake of Jonathan? But what he's really saying is who that's trapped and living in desolation, who that's been crippled by sin, could I invite to sit at my table as a king's son or daughter from the house of Adam for the sake of my precious son, Jesus Christ? Who could I give an inheritance to? Let's give these guys a big, massive round of applause. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Zach. See... But if it's the full plan of God, we've got the Father, we've got the Son, where's the Holy Spirit? And my mind also races a bit when I hear this story. Because this man lived in the poor side of town, so over in the west, and, and the king lived in the east. I don't use that illustration when I'm in the west. Anyway, and, and so, and if you're from the west, I apologize. Anyway, and so, 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 you know, he lived in the poor side of town, the King lived in the rich side of town, so there's great geographical distance between the two. How did the crippled boy get all the way to the king's palace? And it's not a far stretch to think, and we see that the king wanted this boy to appear. So one of the king's servants would have been ordered to go and get this young crippled boy and bring him to the palace. The servant in this story that we read about, or I told you about, who knew everything about this particular family, his name is Zeba. And if you trace his name back into the Hebrew meaning, you eventually come to the words army or Lord's army. See, it's the Lord's army that leaves the palace, that goes to the place of desolation, that finds people that are crippled by sin and brings them to their destiny and their inheritance in the kingdom of God. So where's the Holy Spirit? Well, Acts 1.8 says the role of the Holy Spirit is so that the church could get together, feel nice and get goosebumps. So it doesn't, does it? It says the role of the Holy Spirit is that the church would have dunamis dynamic power to be effective witnesses 
in Jerusalem, Judea, and all over the world. Where was the Holy Spirit in this story? He was on the Lord's army, anointing and empowering the Lord's army to bring someone to their destiny and their inheritance. See, I'm so thankful that I had an auntie that wasn't just into doing fellowship, although it's incredibly important. I'm so thankful that I had an auntie that wasn't just into listening to the Word of God every week, although it's incredibly important. I'm so thankful that I had an auntie that knew that she was part of the Lord's army, that she was anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And even if it took 17 years, she was going to carry this crippled, broken boy all the way until eventually he found his place as a king's son, sitting at the table, partaking of the inheritance that Christ had died for me to have. I want to quickly give you three things. And we're going to finish with that part of my story. Three things that my auntie did to bring me to the place of salvation. And there's sort of three things that Jesus did to bring us to that place too. I'll explain the sort of at the end. The first thing my auntie did is she simply came down to where I was at. See, someone had to leave the comfort of the palace to go down to the place of desolation. You know, when I was at my worst, I was injecting speed, probably between about 16 and 19, I was at my worst. There were times when I hadn't been to sleep for three days straight. And after three days of zero sleep, with being on speed with your mind racing, I'd lick my lips compulsively so much that my lips had become like giant scabs. They're just big scabs. I would scratch myself with paranoia and start to get delusional. I'd end up with scabs and marks over my face and arms. After three days of no sleep, you'd be white and pasty. You look like death warmed up. After three days of no sleep, you hardly made any sense at all. You're just a scatterbrain. But you know what? I can't remember a time when I was in that state and my auntie came to visit and I felt worse because of her visit. See, because she never rode in on her Christian high horse telling me how bad I was, telling me how I was a terrible sinner, telling me how, you know, wrecked my life was. I just needed to look in the mirror to know how bad life was. But every time she came, she came down to where I was at and showed a little bit of love, a little bit of what I could understand so that she could take me to where I needed to be. See, the great apostle Paul, he said, I became all things to all men that I might win some. You know, I'm so thankful she didn't judge. She came down to where I'm at. You know, when we start to judge where everybody else is at, it says more about us than it does about them. It says that we've forgotten that we once had the exact same disease. It might have manifested in a different way, but it was a disease called sin that was going to keep us separated from all of an eternity. But someone came down to where we were at so that we could get to where we needed to be. See, my auntie did these things, and remember I said, so did Christ. Oh, I'm so thankful that we serve a God that didn't just stay in heaven and say, hey, you need to get your life right and get up to where I am. But we serve a God that said, no, let me come down to your brokenness. Let me come down to your humanity. He became a man. He humbled himself so that he could come down to where we were at, so that he could help take us to where we needed to be. Second thing my auntie did is she simply embarrassed us with generosity. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light shine, that men would see your good deeds, and then they'll give praise to God in heaven. It's actually not rocket science. Just keep letting people see your good deeds, and eventually they'll give praise to God in heaven. You know, my auntie, still to this day, she's never been married. She's always had a very humble income. 
But as a boy living in a single mum family, I can never remember a time she'd visit and she came empty-handed. She would always at the very least have a card that had beautiful words about our family. Or there'd be chocolates or, or a little present. Or, you know, as a boy that didn't grow up in a religious home, I had every single children's Bible story that you could possibly imagine. You know, whenever we moved houses, there was no money for us in a single mum family to, to get the people in to bond clean the house or get the moving guys in to move the furniture. It was do it yourself. And of all my mum's six brothers and sisters, this particular auntie, she was always the first one to arrive and the last one to leave every single time because she just made a decision that she would embarrass us with generosity until we gave praise to God in heaven. You know, I preached this exact message six months ago and at a church in Perth. I preached it in the morning service and there was a doctor in the crowd and he'd get all these drug addicts that would come to his clinic and he had such a heart for them but he just felt so helpless. He didn't know how to, you know, minister to them or get them to church and he heard this exact message. He knew where one of these drug addicts lived and he went straight from the Sunday morning service. He went to, to, to Woolworths and filled his whole car with groceries. He unannounced, uninvited, he knocked on one of these guys' doors. He said, I'm really sorry to, to come uninvited. He said, I just, I just want to bless you. He said, I've, I've bought some, I want to fill your freezer, your fridge, and your pantry with groceries. This boy couldn't believe what was actually happening. And they brought all the groceries in and filled his freezer, his fridge, his pantry. Then the man said to him, he says, you've got to know, this is completely unconditional. There's nothing that you have to do because of what I've done. He said, but I just thought I'd ask, only if you want to. We've got this guy that's at our church with a bit of a crazy story. And I just wonder if you'd come to church with me tonight at six o'clock. And guess who the first young man standing at the altar with tears streaming down his face as he encountered the love of Jesus Christ because he simply saw someone's good deeds and then he gave praise to God in heaven. It's not rocket science using the finance you've got, the hands that you've got, the words that you've got, just to embarrass people with generosity. And eventually they'll give praise to God in heaven. I might get the keyboard to come. I'm just going to share this last part of my story. The, 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 quickly before I move to that, I said my auntie did this and so did Jesus. Romans 5.8. It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for me to get my life together. He didn't wait for me to become a preacher. But when I was that young boy with scabby lips putting needles in my arms, what society called a junkie that was mentally ill, it was then that Christ said, I'm going to go to the cross and die for Lucas Connell. And I'm going to give him the gift that he doesn't deserve. I'm going to give him the gift that he definitely hasn't earned. I'm going to give him the gift that he'll still be unwrapping in a million years' time called eternal life. He embarrassed us with generosity. And the last thing my auntie did, the thing I'm most thankful for, she simply prayed for 17 years, not every day. She's not like super Christian, but just consistently over a 17-year period, she just consistently prayed. She's a Baptist lady. So there was no keyboard in the background when she prayed. <laughs> she didn't speak in any other language. She just got on her knees each night. It's funny, she prayed the same prayer for me word for word, for 17 years. Her prayer went like this. See, of all my cousins, I was the worst. I was getting all of my other cousins on drugs and alcohol, cigarettes from very young ages. So her prayer went like this whenever she prayed for me. She said, God, I see what the devil's doing in his life, but I pray that you'd make him a giant killer. She prayed that prayer for 17 years. 
you know, almost from the time I became a Christian, I found myself in ministry. Been a youth pastor, young adult pastor, Bible college principal, a campus pastor. Four and a half years ago, I stepped out in faith, away from my paid pastoral position, and just went on the road. God said, just, I want you to go wherever I call you. I've been all over the world. I've seen thousands upon thousands of people give their lives to Jesus for the very first time. I've seen so many people that had massive addictions broken in an instant. I met a guy last week that had been on drugs for 10 years. He got born again in a meeting I was in. I prayed for him. I prophesied over his future. And he came and told me that it was three years ago. He said, it's been three years since I've touched drugs and I'm full on for Jesus Christ. I've had people that were so full of anxiety that they couldn't leave their house. And in a moment of prayer and healing, completely set free and now living a different life. I could tell you so many stories of miracles, but I'm not telling you that to make myself sound good. But I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that all I'm doing is riding the wave of 17 years of prayer. She didn't pray that I'd just get saved. She didn't pray that I'd end up in a church. She prayed for 17 years that I would become a giant killer. See, the reason why I'm so thankful that she prayed is because of the story I'm about to tell. And I've got to tell you, if you're new to church, it's a freaky story. Even if you're not, it's a freaky story. But there's no other way I can tell it. It's just the way that I perceived it all to happen. I was 16 years old and I was with this girl and we were going to take a drug called acid. If you don't know, acid is a hallucinogenic, it's a mind-altering drug. It you to see things that aren't really there. We went to this house to buy this acid trip. When we got to the house, the guys that were selling to us, they were involved in, in satanic worship. We walked into the bedroom. It was a very dark environment. There were uh, like slayer bands, pictures root of all evil, pictures of demons. There were satanic like pentagrams and symbols. It's a really dark environment. We go in there and we buy this drug from this bedroom. And the guys, they said to us, well, why don't you just stay the night here with us? Why don't you take the trip with us? We're all going to take one. Why don't you do that? This girl and I, we both agreed. And I took this acid trip in a very demonic environment. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't religious. I sort of believed maybe there was a God. And I took this acid trip and after about half an hour, I ended up unconscious, completely out of it, laying on this bedroom floor for three hours. No one sort of came to my aid. No one checked if I was okay. I'm just out. And although I'm completely physically unconscious, in my mind, I'm very awake. And all of a sudden, this darkness that I couldn't even imagine existed came over my entire being. And as this darkness came upon me, then this, in my mind's eye, this being appeared before me and he literally dripped with evil. And he spoke to me. He said, Lucas, you're dead. No one likes you. No one loves you. No one wants your soul. Who do you want to give your soul to? And then like a lawyer, he kept painting this picture of every wrong thing that I've ever done wrong. Every time that I'd been selfish. Every time that I'd let my sinful nature win. And he painted this picture and I knew I was so guilty. And he painted this picture, why would anyone want a sinful soul? And then he offered as if he was the only one that wanted it. And it kept coming back to this question, who do you want to give your soul to? And although it seemed like there was no other option or alternative, and I didn't know what to do, but something inside knew not to let go. I kept fighting and Eventually, I went to this other stage of just darkness where I couldn't see anything except darkness. But in my thoughts, I was tormented like I can't even properly explain. Ridiculed, mocked, 
teased, laughed at, the butt of every single joke, pure evil. Eventually this went on and eventually, and this gets a bit freaky, eventually now I saw my body and it was like this evil had had enough and I was discarded and thrown into this disgusting pit. And I watched these demon creatures, ugly and ferocious, coming down and they were ripping me apart. I remember screaming, I was a 16-year-old boy. I remember thinking, this, this can't be it. This can't be where I stay forever. This can't be the end of my life. I'm 16 years old. And as these beings are coming and I'm just about no more, all of a sudden I woke up on that bedroom floor. I got out of that house as quick as you can imagine. I still remember this so clearly, this part. I'm 16 years old because it's a long time ago now. I remember getting home at my house in Essendon where my mum lived. It's about one o'clock in the morning. I remember walking to my bedroom. I'm standing at my bunk beds just in the archway of the door. And I remember thinking to myself, that felt like the realest thing that I've ever encountered in my whole life. But I thought, it can't be real. It's what they call a bad trip. It's about two weeks later. And I'm out with some friends. We go to a bar in North Melbourne. It was called the Cantina Bar. I was sitting in the back seat of the passenger side. My friend is next to me. My friend's next to me on the, on the driver's seat side. And, and, and we're just sitting on my own business. We're at the front of the Cantina Bar. And all of a sudden, completely out of the blue, my, my friend turns to me and he just, he just says, I heard you met the devil the other week. As soon as he said those words, it was like that same evil came over my whole being. I, could, I wasn't on drugs. I could tangibly feel that same evil come over my whole being. It was so overwhelming that I was literally frozen in fear. I couldn't answer his question. I couldn't turn. I couldn't move. I was paralyzed in fear. He's just asked about the devil. I'm paralyzed in fear because I can feel this evil presence. Then my friend, he turned to me and it was like he looked into me. Just after he mentioned the devil, he looked into me and he said, guess who's going to be at the cantina bar tonight? And it was like that evil spoke through him to me saying, I'm still here. For the next three years, I had what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis. I would think things and the television would answer my thoughts. The radio would answer my thoughts. I would have conversation with this evil voice inside my head. This evil voice convinced me that who I met was not the devil, but actually I'd met God, the creator of all things. And every day I'd go to school and pretend everything was okay. But this voice would come so loud, it would say, no one likes you, no one loves you, no one wants you, you should kill yourself. Every day for three years. Convince me that it was God. I believed that this being that I met controlled everything. And I'd often ask this question inside my head because I was always telling me to kill myself. And I'd say, well, hang on, if you're God and you want me to kill myself, then why didn't I just die that night when I was 16? Why didn't I stay there forever? And as sharp as anything, that voice would say, because I hate you so much, I'm going to torment you here on earth. And then I'm going to take you and torment you for all of an eternity. And as a 16 and 19 year old boy, I believed that with all my heart. There were so many nights, I never told anyone, but I would cry myself to sleep in absolute hopelessness. Because I believed I'd met God, but He was evil and He wanted me to die. Eventually at 19, it all got too much. I couldn't do it any longer. And I made a decision to end my life. 
I'd worked out how I was going to do it, set a time and a date for when I was going to do it. It was a couple of weeks away from ending my life. And I'm sitting at home, and of all shows, I'm sitting there watching Oprah Winfrey. Oprah saved my life. I'm watching Oprah, daytime television. And all the guests on her show were people that had died for like one minute, two minute, three minute, on record. And they were there to talk about what they saw in those few minutes of death. And everyone on her show, they all said the same thing. They talked about a beautiful white light, beautiful tunnel, full of peace. They went in, they came out. I was sitting there getting annoyed because I'm thinking, I didn't see no tunnel. I didn't feel no peace. I was only half watching the show. At the end of the show, a man that was in the audience, he put up his hand. And he said, Oprah, could I share my story? It's very different to all of your guests. She said, you've got two minutes. He says, well, I was an atheist, staunch atheist, which means he believed there was definitely no God. He was a professor at a university or a college in America. He said he was traveling through Europe. And as he was traveling on a holiday, his, his intestines, he had a perforation, they, they exploded. He was rushed to a European hospital. They opened up his stomach and he died for about three, four minutes. He said to his shock, because he was such a staunch atheist, he couldn't believe it, but his spirit and his soul left his body. He was in the hospital and he was hovering above and he was watching the doctors try and revive him, try and bring him back to life. He then said these beings, they came to meet him. and They started to take him away from where his body was. But on Oprah Winfrey, he said, the further we got away from my body, I started to realize that these beings weren't nice. They began to mock me. They began to tease me. They began to torment me. They began to ridicule me. He said they began to beat me. And then on Oprah Winfrey daytime television, he said something that blew my mind because I'd felt so alone for so long. He said all of a sudden they turned into these foul demon creatures and they began to rip my soul apart. He said, as I was just about no more, a little voice on the inside said, ask God for help. And an atheist professor on Oprah Winfrey with demons ripping his soul apart, talked about how he prayed a prayer. And he said, God, if you're real, will you help me out of this situation? And he woke up with defibrillators on his chest and he gave glory to Jesus Christ on Oprah Winfrey. It was at that moment that I realized the answer to my question as to why I didn't die that night when I was 16. And I'd received such a a hopeless demonic answer. But it was at that moment that I realized the reason I didn't die that night is because there was a God in heaven that controlled everything. There was a God that loved me, had a plan for me. His name is Jesus. But you know what? Since I've been a Christian a little while, because from that moment, my psychosis stopped. Even though I didn't become a Christian for three years more. See, because my psychosis was attached to a lie that the devil was God. And when truth came, I experienced freedom, even though I wasn't a Christian. But it was three years later, and now that I've been a Christian a little while, 15 years, maybe 16, I've started to realize that that truth that helped me so much way back then is not fully true. I mean, it's 100% true. It's 100% true that He's God and He's supreme. But if my theology says that the reason I didn't die that night when I was 16 is because God loved me and had a plan for me, then you've got to ask the question, why do drug addicts die every single day without the love of God? Doesn't God love them? 
doesn't God have a plan for them? Why do people in retirement homes die every single day without the love of God and spend an eternity without Him? Doesn't God love them? Doesn't He have a plan for them? The Bible says He does. His will is that none should perish. He loved the whole world, so He sent His Son. See, and what I've become convinced of as we get ready to close is the only reason that I'm standing on this stage preaching to you tonight in the flesh. The only reason that I didn't become a little article in the local Essendon paper that would have talked about another drug addict that was lost in the battle of addiction. The only reason that today I'm not a photo on my mother's mantelpiece that would have been my debutante ball photo in my ugly green suit and way too much gel in my hair. 23 years later, people would have walked into my mum's house and they would have saw the old photo and would have said, who's the boy? With tear in her eye, she would have talked about her boy that really was a good kid, but he just got caught up in the wrong stuff. And one night he took a drug, we never got to see him again. See, the only reason I'm here today, the only reason I'm not that article, the only reason I'm not that photo, the only reason is because I had one of the Lord's army that stood between hell and my destiny and she continued to appear before heaven and continued to appear before God and say, Father, don't you go forget my nephew. He's going to be a giant killer. Hey, Father, I'm back again. Don't you go forget my nephew, Lucas. He's going to be a giant killer. See, she stood between hell and my future. See, my question for you is who will you carry to the place of salvation see remember I said to you that my auntie did these three things and Jesus sort of did my auntie came down to where I was at so does Jesus comes down to our humanity my auntie embarrassed us with generosity so does Jesus he gave his whole life so that we could be forgiven my auntie stood in the gap and prayed for my salvation Jesus didn't. The Bible says that Jesus intercedes for the saints, but He's banking on the fact that the saints would be so moved by the love He has for us that we would push apathy to the side, that we would not just live for materialistic things, that we would occasionally turn off the television and go into a room where no one else is watching and we're so moved by His love that we would stand on behalf of our friends, our family, our community that doesn't yet know Jesus Christ. See, my question for you is who will you carry? Who will you not judge but go down to where they're at? Not into what they're into, but down to where they're at. Who will you use your resource, your words, your hands, your finance to help show them the love of God? And who will you pray for when no one else is watching? You don't have to do it for everyone, but we can all do it for a few. We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.